good afternoon. That was my wife back there that supported me. <laughs> Man, I, she's got my back. I love it. <laughs> good afternoon. All right. Y'all are alive. Man, if there's one thing I will never get over is that us gaining from his reward. That just does I can't get past it. I'm sorry. I just can't. I can't get past it. The grace of God in our lives that we gain from his reward, that he won every race, that he conquered every sin on our behalf. I can't get past that. I can't get over it. I hope you guys can't get over it. If you do get over it, that's a sad place to be in because that has changed our whole eternity. That has changed our whole life. It's changed everything about us. And um, the darkness that we were in, um, sometimes I think we lose sight of the contrast. And that's what we're talking about today is the, the, the deception of darkness. Um, depravity is dark. But have you heard the light of Jesus? And yes, I said that on, on purpose. Have you heard the light of Jesus? If you will, go ahead and grab your Bibles and, and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 17 today. Everything in me wanted to skip to the, the put off and put on and just, or just cram it all into one, and I couldn't. I couldn't do it because I think... Next week, when we talk about, Lord willing, the putting off and the putting on, it will have a deeper meaning after we talk about what we're talking about today, the, the depths of the, or the deception of darkness. So if you will, if you're able and willing, stand with me as we read this in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, and we'll read through 21. It's Holy Spirit speaking through Paul to the church and us today. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart, their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you have brought brought us out of the darkness. Lord, I pray that you would give us a deeper appreciation of what you have brought us out of by seeing this today. And if there's people here that need to be brought out of that darkness, I pray that they would see their condition, that your Holy Spirit would fill us this morning, that you would whisper your voice into their soul and call them to life and call them out of the darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, I pray that you'd be with my words, that I would say only the things you'd have me say very seriously, that I would move out of the way, that you would give us all eyes, eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Um, what you would specifically have to say to us. Um, so Lord, I pray that you would um, let your presence abide and um, teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been on a, quite a journey. We've went through uh, gifts of the Spirit. We went through gifts of the church. Um, gifts to the church as functions. Uh, last week we uh, got to tell each other to grow up. We got to tell each other to grow up um, into Christ to mature adulthood. We told each other to grow up into Christ in every way, every part of of our life. We got to tell each other to grow up in Christ, the body that we would grow up the body with one another. And we 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 talked about in three different ways to grow up physically, spiritually, and emotionally, um, because we are a whole person. Um, Jesus didn't come just to save us spiritually or to save, um, save our eternity, but he also came to save us as a whole person and to redeem and to restore all of those things to a right gospel understanding of who he is 
and, um, and that we begin that journey of eternity at that point, and we move forward and we grow up into that. So, but this week we want to talk about three different things that Paul mentions here in this passage before he talks about the putting off of your old self and putting on the, the new self. It's three different things. Walk out of darkness is what he's telling us. He goes through the sevenfold depth of depravity and the way you heard the light is what we want to talk about today. So let's go ahead and jump into that. Number one, walk out of darkness. It says in verse 17 here, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord. I stopped there when I was reading that. I was like, man, this is he's emphatic about this. Now this I say, and I'm testifying in the Lord. You need to listen to me. He's like, you need to listen. I just told you to grow up. We need to grow up. He's like, he's got you by the collar. Listen to me. This I'm, te- I'm saying this to you, and I'm testifying this in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You remember the Ephesians, all the things that they were involved in, the witchcraft and the idolatry and all of those things. He's telling them, you must no longer walk that way in the futility of their minds. Paul is straight with us saying, talking to all of us, the Ephesians and us, we must not walk as the Gentiles do. Now, who are Gentiles? And everybody here may not know what that, what those, who those people are. Um, you had the Jews and then you had the Gentiles. That was how it was separated by then. Jews were God's chosen nation as a nation of people, and every other nation are Gentiles. I think that's everyone in this room. We are Gentiles. And Paul is telling us, don't walk like them anymore. And we're going to get into that, how they were. How do the Gentiles walk? We need to know that if we're, we're to know not how to walk like them, how to, how to move out of that. In Ephesus, like we said, they were involved in witchcraft and idolatry and nationalism. They worshipped prosperity. They worshipped their version of the American dream, so to speak. They wanted, they worshipped this God that they would give, they, they would bring offerings to these gods that if they thought, if they did give the offerings to the God, that they would bring them prosperity, they would bring more money, bring more work, that they would bring more freedom the gods that they worshipped were the same ones that we get our Statue of Liberty. Surprise. We're not a Christian nation after all and the ways, the things that we have secretly showing up in our place doesn't mean I don't love America. Love America. But we're just as ungodly as every other country. So I'm just going to be straight with you. Um, the gospel supersedes every nation. America doesn't, American doesn't equal Christianity. Christians are in every nation and they're just as much our brothers and sisters as we are here in America. You say, what are you talking about the Statue of Liberty? Comes from the God Libertas. Comes from the God Libertas. Um, It also looks like Ishtar where we get the word Easter. They have very similar looks the thousand points of light coming from the head. Ishtar is a fertility god. Um, that's why when we have Easter, you have bunnies and eggs and things of fertility. And, you know, it's cute. And, you know, I'm not saying don't go do those things because it's about your heart. But these are the things that are in our country that we may not have noticed before. Um, they worshipped Artemis, Diana, Libertas. All three of those were goddesses of prosperity and freedom. And that's where these people were in Ephesus. They were all about success all about the american dream all about those types of things but today we find ourselves in the same boat we're not really much different than the ephesians Um, specifically as americans we're not very much different from the ephesians we find ourselves in the same boat witchcraft and other other rebellion you know, in 1 Samuel, it says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You, you might have been sitting there thinking, hmm, I don't think I've been involved in any witchcraft. Well, the rebellion of sin is as the sin of witchcraft because you're trying to do things and manipulate things to be God yourself. We have idolatry. The American system as a culture, not where we live, is an idol factory. Um, 
an idol factory of distraction. Um, we can make an idol out of anything. Um, even theology to some Christians can become an, uh, an idol. Instead of knowing Jesus and walking with him, you'd rather walk with your knowledge of what you know and understand. We will make an idol out of anything. But rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. We have problems with nationalism. You know, we talk about life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You know, that's great. It's great. It's great things. It's more like nowadays the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because that's where our flesh goes with it when it's handed freedom, when it's handed, here, do what you want, do as you please. And that's where we end up, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And please, don't hear me. Don't get me wrong and say, well, if you don't want to be American, go somewhere else. Don't give me that. Just don't even go there with me because I love this country. I love this country. We have freedom, and we should use it for the right reasons. We should use it for the gospel. We should use it for outreach. We should use it for having church in places that other countries can't dare have church. They can't have it out in the open because they'll be killed. They can't hand out Bibles because they get their hands chopped off. That's reality. So yes, I'm glad we live in America because we can do it without worrying about those things. Our houses don't get marked as Christians and have our house, houses knocked down and torn down with bulldozers. We don't have to worry about that. We can come in here this morning and sit and worship the Lord without one worry. Without one worry. So yes, I love America. America has wonderful, wonderful opportunity for freedom in the sight of God and each other. But when we are left to our flesh as a nation without being born again, it never ends well. And we are just like the Ephesians. Just like them. There's no difference. And Paul is speaking to us in the same way. And he tells us we must not walk as the Gentiles walk. If the rest of America is doing their thing and they're striving after all of these things that are distractions. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Walk after Christ. But that word walk is a present, is, is a present infinitive tense. It means to be con continuously doing that walking. He's saying you must not walk. You must not continue in the walking like that. These, these people in Ephesians, the Ephesians were coming out of a lifestyle and and of course as we know that lifestyle doesn't automatically end when you come to Christ there's a process of you coming out of those things and the Ephesians were working through the same way that we have to work through the old life has to be worked out of us and he's saying well you I've seen enough is what he's saying you guys have you've been saved I've told you to grow up okay now you must not walk like the Gentiles anymore you must stop walking in that direction i know you're used to it i know you you've used to been like you're used to talking to spirits and that are not the holy spirit and not god and you, i know you're you have practices that you've you, you've that have become habits but you have to put them away um everyone in this room right now has a past and has habits from those pasts that we have to break and paul is telling us all today we must not walk as the gentiles walk Do not stay. This is what he's saying. Do not stay in the process of walking in that manner. Do not stay in that process. Paul says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. I don't think I can say it enough. These believers are still being delivered from their old life. And when we look at one another, we need to remember that. You know, we get frustrated because we mainly get frustrated with other people and other brothers and sisters because they're struggling with something we don't struggle with. And so we get really frustrated and angry with them. And we're like, well, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Well, Paul understands that these people, what they're coming out of. And he's saying, well, it's time. It's time. You've come out of this. Christ has saved you. You have seen him. So it's time to grow up. It's time to move on from these things stop wrestling with the same things that you used to deal with in your old life stop dealing with those things move on there's other things to be fighting for he gets in later on about spiritual warfare and he's like you basically he's saying this is the spiritual warfare that you used to be on the other side of doing all these things and didn't know it you, you didn't realize there was a war and that there was a good side that you are a part of now but whenever we look at one another let's realize 
Everyone's struggle is not, it's not your struggle. It's not. So we give each other grace, but we also gently push each other to grow up and to push on and to go forward and, and tell one another, no longer walk like the Gentiles walk. Look, look at each other and say, don't, don't be a Gentile. You, know, you can do it. Have fun with it. Don't be a Gentile. Don't walk like them. Say, tell, tell, tell each other that. Say, don't walk like them. Don't, don't walk like them. <laughs> Just stop. Just stop walking like them. And we know it's not that easy. But when we understand each other, we can help each other walk not like the Gentiles anymore. Because this is how it really is. I was explaining this even this morning. So apparently it is a word for someone today. Um, and then we've said it before. We are, we are saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. And that's the way it is. Yes, you, like Gentry was teaching, you know, you're justified. As if you've never sinned. But yeah, you're working out that justification and sanctification. And then you will be done with it at one point in time. And you will see the, the full occurrence of that justification. Of how you've been made right in the gospel. That he's put away your sin and that he stood in your place. And there will be a completion of that. There will be no longer a sanctification working out of sin. Because the sin will be completely dead when this flesh is dead. So we are saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. But we have to help one another as we're walking and as we're running to no longer do it in such a manner as the Gentiles do, as the world does, that we're not going to walk like them anymore. And I was thinking about this yesterday, and I, I knew this happened. I had just recently bought some new running shoes. And yeah, I thought it was a good thing until I realized how bad my old shoes were. When I put on those new shoes and I started running in those new shoes, my ankles started to hurt. My feet started to hurt. It was awkward. It was the same type of shoe. I didn't change my whole shoe. It was a new shoe. And what the thing is, when you wear that new shoe, it helps you to run correctly instead of running the old way you were running with the old shoes. And... The new shoes correct, they corrected my running and it was painful and my ankles were weak for a while, Gentry. My, <laughs> my ankles were weak for a little while. But when I, I, wanna, I want you to listen to this. Whenever I planned to run, I put them on. I put the new ones on anyway. I put the new shoes on anyway. I don't go back to the old shoes. Why do I not go back to the old shoes? The old shoes would be comfortable, wouldn't they? they would, the pain wouldn't be there anymore. I could just wear the old shoes, but what does that do? Wearing the old shoes helps me to run the way I was running. And apparently it wasn't right. And I didn't know that until I put the new shoes on. I put the new shoes on, then you feel the pain, and you're like, ooh, this, uh, something wasn't right. And the longer you wear those new shoes, the more you start running correctly. The better you feel, the faster you run. And the better you, you'll do all the way around. When we plan to walk in this new life Jesus has caused us to be born again into, we can't go back to the old life because it's comfortable. We can't sit there and put on the old shoes. We have to be mindful to say, no, I could put on the old shoes and feel a little better. Make the flesh happy. Make it hush. Or I could put on the new shoes and run correctly and deal with the pain until I get stronger. Put on, this is what I want to tell you, put on your new running shoes and keep pushing. And keep pushing. We have to put on Christ every day. We all know that. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you realize that I have to put on Christ every day because you wake up in the morning, you put your flesh on, you're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a bad day. We have to put on Christ every day. And I ask you this, can he be a bit uncomfortable? Yes. He is very uncomfortable. But you know what? He's not broken, we are. 
He is the new shoes. We still want to wear the old shoes. We want to be comfortable in the way we run and, and go back into the flesh or just not push forward anymore. No, just when you see the two pairs of shoes, you're like, no, nah, I, I remember how that was. I'm going to be running wrong. And I'll tell you one thing. If anybody has ever exercised or run in shoes and you keep wearing the same shoes that are bad and worn out, you're going to start hurting. It's going to start creeping all the way up your legs. It's going to go to your back, and your whole body's going to fall apart. And it, it just compounds the problem. So keep putting on the old shoes, and you'll wonder why your problems keep compounding because you're not running correctly. You're not running the right way. But he's not broken. We are. If you have good shoes, it's not the shoes' fault that your feet and ankles hurt. It's because we don't run correctly. So no longer walk as the Gentiles walked. Don't keep putting those shoes on. Put on the new ones. So what does this mean for us in this part here? Holy Spirit through Paul is telling us that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He just told us we need to grow up in all these different ways. Well, you're able to do that by equipping from the functions of the church. And before that, you've, each of us have been given a gift. We have no excuse not to walk in the, in the Spirit. We've been given everything. We've been handed the kingdom. We've been, it's all been handed to us. He's won it all for us. And he says, here, take all of these gifts and run correctly. Here, here are the whole, the whole box of shoes that I want you to run in. Go run in them. I've handed you everything. But we're like, no, I like those old shoes. I like them. I want to put on them. I want to put those on and, and run in them, walk in them. But he's telling us we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. How? How do we do that? Well, we've said it already. Put on Christ every day. Put on Christ every day. How do we do that? How do we put on Christ? Do I wake up in the morning and say, Christ, come on me? Well, if you don't know any other way to do it, then I would say that's a viable prayer. <laughs> I mean, I'm that real in prayer. Like, I don't know what else to do. God, sometimes you're just like that. God, just fill me up. Be, just come on me. I don't know what that means, but do it for me. And that's what a little kid would do. Little kids, they don't know how to tie their shoes. They say, will you tie my shoe? And they put it out there for you. And they, just, they, they get so used to you helping them out, they, just, they don't even ask anymore. They just put their foot up. Tie, tie my shoe. Well, that, listen, that is the simplicity of being a child in the faith. We need to trust him like that. We, we can't get too grown, like too grown in our minds and our pride to sit there and think, well, I've got this. I don't need to ask him anymore. Well, some of you have heard me say that before. We can't even tie our shoes in the morning without Christ. We can't because you didn't wake yourself up. You didn't open your eyelids. The, able, the, the, the reason you're able to move your arms and legs is, is his grace. And ask me how I know that because my grandmother's watching and her body's giving up on her. And she knows every morning she wakes up, it's the grace of God. That someone's even able to get her up out of the bed and move her to the chair is the grace of God. But see, we wake up in the morning, we jump up out of the bed and we're like, hey, I got this. Do you really? Not, not really. He's given you grace to do that. But put on Christ every day. How do we do that? Worship Him. Read and study Scripture. When I say worship Him, I... I mean, really, spend some time thinking about him. Like, what has he done for me? Why, do, why, why should I have joy? And when you sit there and grab a hold of that, your eternity's been changed. The moment you close your eyes in this life and you wake up and you see him, worship. Well, you need to think, put your mind in that, that place of, of, of gratitude to him. That's like I said, I just can't get over that. I can't get over the grace of God, and I'm, I, I apologize for that. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Um, I, don't deserve, I don't deserve the gospel. I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve anything. To, but hell, that's it. I deserve hell. Why should I gain from his reward? I can't give an answer. I really can't. What answer can we give? He's handed us new shoes to run in. 
And we, we need to put them on and run. Worship Him. Read and study Scripture. Not just for a knowledge, but to know Him. Pray. Talk with Him as if you actually believe He's walking with you. Because He is. He is walking with you. You'll hear my grandmother praying in her room when no one else is in there. Sometimes I thought she was talking to us, and I'm like, Grandma, you need something? No, I'm just talking to the Lord. I'm just talking to the Lord. Well, that's the way we should be. We shouldn't wait until we're that age to do so. We should be doing that now. Enjoy that now. Pray. Talk with Him as if you actually believe He's walking with you, as if He's in the car with you while you're driving. When we're sitting in, in discipleship group and there's an empty chair, hey, if he's there with us, you need to maybe visualize the fact that he could be sitting in that chair with us. Have a part of the conversation, just listening. Listening to his children and his brothers and sisters talking about him and how he saved us and how he's growing us up and how he's teaching us to be like him. That's prayer. We put on Christ every day by repenting and believing. Always growing in that repentance and, and trust of Him. Now is that going to hurt? Yeah, it's going to hurt because it's putting on the new shoes every day. Keep pushing, keep pressing into Him. It hurts because we're not holy. It's because we're not right. That's why it hurts. And it can be embarrassing when we're trying to run in these new shoes because we're prideful. We're embarrassed because, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll all take care of you. This family, we'll, we'll help you do a little better with that. And that's the way it should be. You know, the devil will sit there and make you think or, or lead you to believe that everyone's waiting for you to screw up. They're just waiting. I'm waiting for them to screw up so I can jump on them. No, that's not true. And we know that's not true here. Not only in our discipleship group, but in this church is a safe place for repentance. It's not just our, our house. This, this culture of this, this church here, it's a safe place of repentance because we all know we're broken. That's one of the, one of the good things about running culture when you're in running culture, you know, certain sports, you know, you're, you have that killer instinct. You play basketball, you want to, I'm going to put it to them. You play football, I'm going to hit them. You know, like, you have that killer instinct. When you're, when you're in running culture, the only enemy you really have is yourself. Because when you're running these races, they are still cheering you on even if you're the last person to finish. And if you've run a race with us, you've seen that before. I don't, some of you guys act like you don't want to run with us, like you'll be intimidated. And I'm telling you, it's fun because you could be the slowest person. It doesn't matter. It will not matter. I remember we all finished the race. And last year, we ran a race uh, with uh, Dee and Joey, and they came out. And there was this one person. I mean, everyone was finished. They were handing out the awards and someone finished. They were coming up there trotting. You know, they were, you know, they were just, they wanted to finish that race. And man, when everybody saw them, they started cheering. I'm not, it wasn't fake. They were like, they're going to finish. And they were like flipping out. Everyone turned around and was like cheering for that person just to make it across that finish line. Well, that's us. We should be that way. There's no other group in the world that should be more like that than us. Finishing the race is the win. Encouraging one another and helping is participating in each other's win. When I see you put on the shoes, I'm going to cheer you on. Go. It's going to hurt. Keep going. Keep walking with them. Keep running. Do what you can do to keep pushing to be like him. The more we learn to walk as he walks, the less awkward it gets. I can tell you that. It gets a little less awkward. The more you walk correctly, the stronger you will be. The more you run correctly, the stronger you will be. Paul says to no longer walk 
as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So futility, what is that? Uselessness of their minds. This is what we used to be in. Uselessness of their minds, depravity, moral corruption, and wickedness. So that leads us to the second part of what Paul is talking about here. Sevenfold depth of depravity. He lists seven different things that depravity looks like in this passage. So look at verse 18 and 19. Before that he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. And then he goes into saying, this is how they walk. In case you forgot what it's like, this is what it's like. It says, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. These seven symptoms are how the lost are walking. It's how we walked. When we as born-again believers are walking in our flesh, we see these things creeping back up in us. So these are things that we need to be on the lookout for. Don't, don't read these, don't hear this whole point here and think, well, that's just the lost. Well, when we read these things, you can see them, apply them to yourself, see them when they're creeping back up on you because you don't want them creeping back up. You need to no longer walk as the Gentiles walked. We need each other to help keep us from going back to the comfortable shoes. So we need to pay attention to these things. And I'm going to say them in a different order. But there is a reason for that. The first one is darkness. The Gentiles walk in darkness. If you think back how it was before you got saved, it was dark. I got saved at an early age. But even that, that before I got saved, it was dark. I couldn't see anything. I didn't see Jesus yeah, I saw him in church, but I didn't see him for who he was. I didn't. I couldn't. There is a darkness that will swallow up your sight of God in his glory. And that same darkness keeps us from seeing ourselves rightly. Because we don't see the light of him, we can't see the light of us and, and the sin that is on us. If we can't see the glory of God, we cannot change. We won't if we abide in this darkness. If we cannot see the glory of God, we will not see our own condition and we will continue in our rebellion. Ephesians 5, 8, he says this just a little bit further in the letter. Ephesians 5, 8, he says, For at one time you were darkness. He doesn't say you were in darkness. He said you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. He's talking to those Ephesians who are on that dark side of all this spirituality and spiritism and worship of idolatry. He's like, you were darkness. I was darkness. We were this darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then he says, walk as children of light. He tells us here in the passage we're reading, you, we must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. And he says in, in chapter 5, walk as children of light. Don't walk in that darkness. The second one is ignorance. And I would say it's a deep ignorance. It's not just an ignorance that is shallow. It is a deep ignorance. Not only is this ignorance of truth, but it is the deepest kind of ignorance. Before we see Christ and hear his voice, we believe that we truly know some things. We really think we've got some things figured out. We have life figured out. We believe we know about life. We feel like we have it under control. That kind of knowledge is incredibly, incredibly superficial and shallow. Because once you've seen Christ, you've, you realize, I don't, I don't know anything. The more you start studying Him, the more you see we know nothing in comparison to Him. The closer you get to Him, the more you see and know about Him, the more you realize, I don't know anything about Him. Because he's just that deep. He's that so much more than us. That above us. We can't, when we're living in this deep ignorance, we can't comprehend true reality. Until God brings us to life by the gospel, we will remain in that deep, dead ignorance. And as sinners, that's where we deserve to stay. 
is in the ignorance. But he says, no, you will not. I will show myself to you and you will see the glory and you will be changed. You will be saved. The next one, the hardness. The ignorance is there due to the hardness of heart. Some of you may realize that at some points and times in your life. I may realize that at some points in time of my life that our hearts are a little hard in places. Well, this is the same thing. The heart of stone you read about in Ezekiel. Yes, he has given us a heart of flesh, but he is giving us a heart of flesh, and he will give us a heart of flesh. Yes, he's given us a heart of flesh, and it is the moment that you got saved, he cracked that heart of stone. And it started chipping. Pieces started falling off. And it started beating. started coming alive. Every so often our depravity shows up in the hardness and the hard parts of our heart that still are stony. The heart that, the part of that heart that's stony that hates accountability to God. It's what the, that's the way the Gentiles walk. They hate accountability to God. The heart that wants war against God. If I could see him, I'd, I'd punch him in the face. If people say that, that those types of things, I'd kill him. I've heard people say that. Or if I could stand before God, I would kill him. Let's go back to the deep ignorance. You see, they can't see that. They can't see his power. They can't see his glory. They have no idea what they're saying. Deep ignorance. That hardness of heart that thinks, I can do things my way. That's the way we were. That's the way we were before we were saved. I got this. I can do this. I don't need him. The heart that is indifferent towards loving God and loving others as yourself. Sometimes you see that. When do you see that in your life? When you're walking in the flesh? You're riding on that heart, of, that part of your heart that is still hard, you know, clinging on to those pieces. And then God has to go sit there and go, and it falls off and you have nothing left, nothing left but flesh on that area. The heart of stone that is full of self-centeredness. The heart that desires to be the God of its own universe. That's the hardness. Then he mentions callous. What happens when you have a callous on your hand or your, or your feet? Hopefully some of y'all have, have had calluses before. That means you've worked. That means you've worked before. You get calluses on your hands. They get hard. When you feel the calluses, you can't feel anything can't feel nothing it's dead a dead spot you learn to play the guitar you'll have calluses on your fingertips you won't feel it anymore you won't feel the pain anymore you won't feel life anymore in that area it has no feeling he's saying these people have become callous this, this is what depravity looks like they're callous towards god they have no feeling, no conviction. Holy Spirit is quenched. Don't let yourself be that way. Don't, don't quench Holy Spirit. Don't become callous towards what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. In 1 Timothy 4, 2, he talks about conscious, your conscience being seared. In the King James, it says seared as if with a hot iron. That means the conscience that once was broken over sin has been seared with something really hot. And then you can't feel it. It's just like a callus or something that's been seared. It's harder on the outside. It has no feeling. It's been burned. The nerve endings are gone. You can't feel that anymore. That's a dangerous place to be in because you don't know if you'll come out. You won't repent. You won't trust God. You'll be callous to everything that is Him because you've begun to walk as the Gentiles walk again. The next one, sensuality unbridled lust ex in, in, anything in excess outrageousness shamelessness it doesn't just mean sexual the sensuality means you just don't care and you're proud about it i live in my sin and i'm going to tell you about it you want to join I'm like flagrant flagrant sin whatever the flesh wants it has and a lot of it no shame before god or man Proud of sin and rebellion. Advertise it. Yeah, this is the way I am. Get over it. That's the way I am. Sensuality. 
The next one, impurity. Physical or morally impure. Impurity of lustful living in every area of life. And then it even goes to the heart, impure motives. I was talking to Charles this morning about that, just thinking about all the sins that Christ has paid for, even the intents of the heart that we don't even pay attention to. Like impure motives of why you said a certain thing to somebody else because you thought you would advantage from it. Like just the simple, this is how eaten up we are with sin. It goes down, it's in our blood. We have to be saved. We have to be rescued from that. We have to be born again. We have to be a new person because the old person can't do that. It's eat up with it. And the last one, the way, I, the, the way Paul talks about all these things happen, the result of that is alienated from the life of God. That is, a, that is a Gentile. That is how we are in the flesh. We are alienated from the life of God. Verse 18, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. When all of those things are present in a life, we are alienated from life itself because life is from God. That word life is zoe, like full of life, full of the fullness of life. When we have all of these other things, we are alienated from that life of God. Yes, it'll be full, but it'll be full of sorrow. It'll be full of troubles. It'll be full of tripping up and falling and, and, and living in the ditch and living in the pit. But alienated from life itself, God is our life giver. Physically to all mankind and spiritually to his children, he is our life giver. So what do we do with that one? We must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And when you see those things creeping up in you or in your brothers and sisters, remind them gently, hey, Grow up and put your good shoes on. Stop putting the old shoes on. We have to change the way that we are walking from our old lives to the new. We need to continuously be walking away from that lifestyle and more and more after Christ. We always have to be moving. Once we stand still, we will go back to the way we were. We have to keep moving. We have to keep walking. We have to keep running. And if you're, you're talking to someone else, cheer them on. Cheer them on. You can finish. You're almost there. You, you don't have much longer, and we really don't. You've heard me say it before. Within 100 years, we're all going to see Jesus. This is How are you going to meet him? I mean, how will you meet him? Will he be welcoming you, or will you go before the judgment seat automatically? Well, you don't, you're not here. I don't know you. Yeah, of course he knows you, but you don't know him. You don't have that love relationship with him as father as as brother as family and number three the last one here the way you heard the light verse 20 and 21 paul says you must stop no you must no longer walk as the gentiles walked and then he tells us what that was like what that depravity of walking like the gentiles looked like that darkness but then he says in verse 20 and 21, but that is not the way you learned Christ. You didn't learn Christ by following those pathways. You didn't learn him that way. You didn't learn him by that, that nature. And then he says, that, that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul is telling us to no longer walk in the way that we used to, he is saying to those who are still walking in that old comfortable lifestyle of that flesh, that is not the way you learned Christ. He's looking at them, and you're still following these habits. That is not the way you found Christ, and that is not what he showed you when he opened your eyes. Stop walking that way. Christ has not and does not walk that way, and if we're to walk like him, we, we won't walk like the Gentiles walk. But what I find inter interesting here is this verse. He says, assuming that you have heard about him. The thing that's funny, when you look at the original stuff, that word about is not there. And that makes it really interesting. Because what it really says, it's not saying that you've heard about him or heard of him. 
It literally reads just like this, assuming that you have heard him. Now, what does that say? How does that change everything? Well, you just didn't hear about Jesus. You didn't just hear of him. You heard him yourself. He says, assuming that you heard him. Let's go back to Jesus' words. John 5, 25. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. They will hear the voice of the, of the Son of God. In John 10, 27, what does Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They hear my voice. So it literally says, assuming that you have heard him. You have heard him. You've heard him speak to you. That's not the way I walk. Don't walk that way anymore. Put these new shoes on. Put this new self on and walk that way. So you've heard him. And then it says taught in him. By how? How, did, how were you taught in him? By his spirit and by his ministers. By his spirit. Holy Spirit teaches and reveals the truth of God to us. In John 16, 13. It says when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. When you hear Holy Spirit say, don't walk that way, where'd that come from? Don't walk that way. Don't do that today. Don't, don't even go that direction. I'll back up, get back on the bed, I'll put on the right shoes, and I'll start walking. You, you send me on the route you want me to run today. Holy Spirit teaches and reveals truth of God to us and then by his ministers and that can be any of us ministering to one another those who faithfully preach the word of God and those who walk with you and run with you and are cheering you on and disciple you in in day-to-day life those people you come in contact with at discipleship group that are cheering you on wanting you to run the race and finish the the race That is how you're taught in him. The truth is in Jesus is what he says after that. The passage says, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him as what? The truth is in Jesus. The truth is in him. He is truth. He is faithful and true. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the father except through me you won't make it there yourself you won't find another way to be there you have to come through me he is the he is the gate of the sheep if you're going to go into that fold you have to go through the shepherd so in conclusion god brought us out of that old dead life by giving us a new life by Jesus coming to take our place and suffer the wrath of God in our place. Don't ever get over that. You remember the, the, the thing of him pulling you out of line you, as, as if all of your sins are hanging around your neck. The whole list, I mean, it's just hanging for however long you can see. He pulls you out of line, takes it off of your head and puts it on his, stands in line and suffers your wrath that you deserved forever. Or as far as we can see, and we can't see that far. It just goes on. In your place, if you'll repent and believe, if you'll repent and trust him, repent, turn away from the sin, turn away from that living of the Gentiles, of living in darkness. Turn away from that and go towards him in the light. Give up, surrender. To the Christians, we must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Let us continue on our adventure. Yes, it is an adventure with Christ. And encourage others along the way to come out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And I'll end with this, this passage here in John eight twelve, And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. If there's anybody in here today that's walking in darkness, come out. Just come out. We're all here. We're not here to judge you. I know the world likes to think that we judge you. We want you to walk in the light. We want you to run the race. We want to cheer you on to the finish line. We want you to be there with us. We don't want your money. We don't want you to be a member. We, I mean, we want you to be family. We want you to be family. And we want to cheer you on until we see our big brother, Jesus. Until we see the Father and we stand around his throne and we worship and praise him. We don't want to see one person get thrown into, into the lake of fire and suffer the wrath of God and have him burn out the sin that we have racked up in our lives. Hand them over to him. Let them go. Open your hand up and say, here's my sin. Here's my sin. Take it. I, I don't know what to do with it. Save me. I, I can't. I don't know what to do. I don't. There's no magic formula. There's no abracadabra. There's nothing. It's just you giving up. Here's my sin. Let's pray. Well, Father, we, we do love you and we thank you is not really enough to tell you but Lord you, you see and you read our spirit you read our soul you read our whole of our person that we we love you the best that we can the best that we know how and Father I pray that if there's anyone here today that is still walking in darkness that you would call them out of the darkness into your light into your marvelous light to where you can see reality we can see you in a real way Lord I pray that you would call them out of that Lord if there's Christians here that are walking in darkness that the darkness is creeping up on them whether it be spiritual attack or whether it's just depravity that you would call us back into the light use our brothers and sisters to encourage us to run the race to finish Lord, do a work in us today. Lord, let your spirit do its work. In Jesus' name, amen.